Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. November 28th, 2021. Welcome to First Words Podcast. I'm Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor at First United Methodist Church in Florence. And this marks the beginning of the season of Advent. That's four weeks prior to Christmas, uh, beginning on uh, the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And so uh, here we are. Advent is a season of preparation, uh, hoping that we'll be ready uh, to receive Jesus anew when he comes um, as a babe in the manger, but as we'll talk about today, even uh, when he comes for his second coming. I'm going to use Luke 21, 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In 1987, the indie rock band, R.E.M., released a song titled, It's the End of the World as We Know It. The chorus of the song is straightforward as it repeats a fast-paced, almost joyful ditty. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Living through the last couple of years has felt like the end of the world as we know it, and none of us feel fine. I'm not just talking about the pandemic and all the conflict and craziness surrounding it. We've had to deal with hurricanes, forest fires, earthquakes, and floods. Then there are the mass shootings, people recklessly driving their vehicles into crowds, and overly stressed people punching flight attendants. All of these are frequent topics on the 24-hour news cycle. And if that's not enough, There are the shenanigans of our politicians who care more about power than solving the significant problems facing our country. Is it any wonder anxiety and its accompanying symptoms have been on the rise since early 2020? 
More people feel frightened and unsure about the future than ever before. In extreme cases, this leads some people to experience distress in the form of doomsday phobias. These are defined as fears about the end of the world and the sequence of events leading up to it. While there's no official medical terminology for this condition, I think we could call it apocalyptophobia, as in fear of the apocalypse. So, why am I preaching from an apocalyptic passage on the first Sunday in Advent? Shouldn't I be preaching about the newborn Jesus with his parents lovingly gazing as he coos in the manger and his donkeys, shepherds, and angels draw near? That's an integral part of the story. However, Luke's apocalyptic passage fits rightly at the beginning of Advent. It works because it describes a world like ours that Jesus was born into back in the first century. In Luke 2, we see that it was a world on edge as the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, used brutal tactics to keep the peace and punish his enemies who dared defy him. Quirinius was the governor of Syria and also Judea, and he conducted a sham census to extort more tax money from the Jews. Luke places the birth of Jesus smack dab in the middle of that political turmoil, naming the politicians responsible for the horrific conditions because that baby in a manger would eventually confront their oppressive, violent, and vicious tactics with a far greater power that comes from our God, love. Jesus enters our chaotic world bringing peace. And so our passage begins with, Jesus addressing those gathered in the temple, describing that chaotic world of his day, and pointing to specific signs that concerned his followers. I'm going to use a paraphrased version of the gospel throughout the sermon today. And it begins, Jesus spoke to those gathered around him in the temple, saying, At that time, the whole cosmos will seem to be going berserk. The sun the moon, the stars, the earth, and the seas will be out of control, and waves of blind panic will sweep across every nation. The terrifying sense of doom will be more than some people can bear. They'll drop in their tracks in a dead faint as the elemental powers of the universe tremor and crash around them. Here at the beginning of Advent, we turn our attention not to Jesus' first coming, but to his second coming. He says nature will violently signal his appearance. The seas will shake and the skies will fill with ominous signs, leaving people terrified and confused. Jesus borrows this language from some earlier prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel, where the nature images mirror the social and political turmoil that leaves God's people uneasy and longing for relief. Vincent van Gogh captures the mood of this prophetic imagery in his painting, The Starry Night. Kathy Beach Verhe says the artwork depicts an apocalyptic sky, like the one Jesus describes in Luke 21. There are swirling clouds in bold yellows and white on deep, dark blue and black skies. There's a bright yellow moon and shining stars 
described by one art critic as rockets of burning yellow. A small town forms the background with a church steeple prominently featured. In the foreground, a foreboding flame-shaped image connects the earth and sky. Art historians say it's a cypress tree, an image associated with graveyards and mourning. We can interpret this painting in several different ways. Some people see it as an image of a frightening sky, while others see it as bold and beautiful. Still others see it as a glimpse of God. That may have been Van Gogh's perspective. He painted the starry night while he was in an insane asylum receiving treatment for paranoia and depression. However, previously Van Gogh served as a Methodist evangelist to the poor and he identified with their suffering. As he now suffered the torture of mental illness, his only hope was in Jesus who comes bringing relief for our pain. Jesus said, Then, and only then, those who are still standing will see the breathtaking arrival of the new human, riding on the clouds in power and glory. When these things start happening, get up on your feet and stand tall because the moment is approaching when everything will finally be put right for you. Despite the ominous signs that some might interpret as the end of the world, Jesus calls us to stand up and raise our heads because our redemption is drawing near. He reminds us that even in the worst of times, he'll show up and we have nothing to fear. Into our chaos, Jesus comes bringing salvation and peace. We should also take heart because we've been here before. Jesus says if you want to know what lies ahead, we need only look to the past. The world's been in trouble before, although not necessarily this exact situation, but something close. Each generation experiences trials and tribulations. Historians identify patterns and cycles weaving through our past. Although we can't necessarily use the patterns and cycles to predict the future, we can observe how every time we face a season of turmoil, we move into a season of relative peace and calm. So when trouble comes, even though it may not feel like God is with us in the thick of it, if we recall other times when he's been there for us before, we can trust that he'll show up again. And the scripture continues. Then Jesus used an illustration to make his point, saying, Most trees give clear signs when the seasons are changing. When the dogwood start unfurling their blooms, you know that summer is just around the corner. This season is much the same. When you see all these things happening, you can be sure that the reign of God is almost upon you. The fact of the matter is that some of you will see these things in your lifetime. The earth and the sky will only last for so long, but there is no expiration date on my words. Jesus describes the life of a disciple as living in between two worlds, the world as it is and the world as it will be when God fully establishes his kingdom here on earth. 
We live in a dynamic, unpredictable, and even frightening world in this in-between time. But the seasons will change. We're not stuck here. Better days are coming. Dean Feldmeyer reminds us how the pandemic, combined with the Great Resignation, has left many businesses short of help. Dean and some of his friends went to a restaurant that was full of people. The wait staff was hustling but falling farther behind. Their waitress, a college student, didn't get all their drinks to the table before she delivered their food, and then she forgot to bring silverware. When one of his friends asked the waitress for the things they needed, she dropped her head in her hands, overwhelmed with frustration, and started to cry. One of the men got up and walked to her. He put his hands on her shoulders and said, Hey, we get it. You're overworked and frustrated. Don't worry. We're not angry, and we promise we'll leave a good tip. We're patient, kind, and generous people. Just do the best you can, and everything will be fine. The young woman dabbed the tears from her eyes and whispered, Thank you. By that small, gracious act, as the theologian Paul Tillich once said, nothing was changed, but everything was transformed. The restaurant was still crowded and noisy. The waitress was still stressed and overworked, but she was smiling, and her step was a little lighter, all for those few words of reassurance and encouragement. She realized everything was going to be okay. There's great power in knowing that everything will work out in the end, and with Jesus, it always will. So, what do we do in the meantime? Jesus says we should be on guard and not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries. I like the paraphrase I've been using. It says, keep on your toes and don't let yourself get entangled in wasteful trivialities like partying and keeping up with the Joneses. If you get sucked into all that, you'll lose all sense of perspective and you'll fly blindly into the coming day like a bug flying into a windshield. It's not as though there's any way of avoiding it. That day will come to everyone on earth all at once, ready or not. So stay on your watch constantly. Pray for strength. Pray for guts. Pray for the ability to keep your wits about you. You'll need all this when these things happen if you're going to dodge and weave your way clear so that you can stand tall before the new human. Jesus is talking about the dangers of distraction. We know all about distraction, don't we? We busy ourselves with a thousand little things to keep from having to confront the big stuff. I think that's one of the reasons Christmas has become one of the busiest times of the year. We know we're celebrating God entering our world in Jesus, but we're not sure what that means. We're unclear on the demands His coming will bring, so we distract ourselves with lesser, unimportant things. We work hard to keep Jesus in the manger, because when He grows up, He's going to ask us to do hard things. Things like loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving clean water to the thirsty, and visiting the imprisoned. 
Caesar Augustus and Quirinius would never lower themselves to do such things. Most of us prefer Caesar's ways because Jesus' way is too demanding and it puts us at odds with the powers that be. So Jesus tells us to watch for him, not because he's not here, but because he wants to show us where he's already working. He invites us to join him in what he's doing. And to do that, we'll have to stop doing things that don't matter. We'll have to give up popularity and status as we start caring about the things Jesus cares about and loving the people that Jesus loves and doing the things that Jesus does. We'll have to be Jesus to the world. And that scares us because we know what the world did to him. The world is not a safe place for people like Jesus or for those who follow him. What we get in return, though, for following Jesus is the end of the world as we know it. The end of a world filled with greed, hatred, violence, jealousy, addiction, and selfish ambition. And we get the beginning of a world built on love. When the world as we know it ends and God's kingdom comes, then we'll all feel fine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast and we hope and pray that you have a great week ahead and let us know if there's anything that we can do for you. Take care. Thank you for joining us for First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in the community, visit us at fumcflorence.org and on facebook.com slash florencefumc. It's the end of the world.